Good morning, everyone. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. Pastor Tom is preaching this morning at the Thornton campus, but I am excited to be here this morning with you to kick off a new series. The New York Times has published a series of opinion pieces over the last couple years that they've called America in Focus. And different than a normal opinion piece that's written by like an opinion columnist who works at a paper, these pieces are based on focus groups that they hold with 10 or 12 individuals, sort of a cross-section of Americans, and ask them questions about our country. This week's article was entitled, What's Happened to America? You can imagine they got some responses about that question. The responses they got were from about 12, 70 to 80-year-olds, and they asked them a series about what how is America different today than it was in the past, and what do you think is happening? And they asked them political questions and social questions and all sorts of different questions from this focus group. One question that they asked was, what was the best decade of your life? Most of the people answered that that decade of their life occurred when they were much younger. For many of them, it was the 1950s, the 60s, or the 70s, the so-called good old days. And in general, there was a consensus amongst this focus group that America is getting worse. Do you ever feel like our world is out of control, changing rapidly? I don't think I need to list the reasons why many people are concerned about the state of our world and what's happening. But I do think it's fair to say that many people, perhaps many of us, long for what seems like a simpler time. And if we're followers of Jesus, given all the upheaval that's happening in our world, I think many of us have wondered, how can we stay faithful in the midst of a world that often feels out of control. That's why we're beginning a new series today that we're calling Winsome Living. To answer this question, how do we live in a world that is changing so rapidly? How do we navigate cultural challenges and pressures and what feels like, in many cases, a rising level of antagonism toward the Christian faith? It might surprise you that an Old Testament historical figure grappled with these questions too. So grab your Bible and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel is to the right of the Psalms in the Old Testament past, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. If you're having trouble find it, finding it, just remember that God put a table of contents in the front of your Bible so that you could find the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. As you're turning there, I, I just want to remind you of why we would turn to a book from thousands of years ago to get some context around what's happening in our culture today. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 15. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's why we're committed to opening the Bible every week at Calvary, because we want to have encouragement from the Scriptures. 
we want to endure whatever we're facing. We want to have hope. And that's what we're praying happens during our study in the book of Daniel. Okay, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1 today. We're going to take the whole chapter, which is 21 verses. And in order to sort of navigate through it, I want to, I want to give you sort of three sections of this chapter. There is first a forcible removal of Daniel and the people of God from their home. Following that, there is a faithful resolution that's made by Daniel and his friends. And finally, we're going to close with a reminder that God forever reigns over all of it. That truthfully is kind of the structure of the book of Daniel. There is history, story, an account of a forcible removal of the people of God, many faithful resolutions that the people of God make despite being forcibly removed from their homeland. But over all of it, God reigns and rules. And it's our hope as we study Daniel together that even as many of us might feel like, gosh, has my, has my culture been taken away from me? Or is my faith being removed from me? Or am I facing pressure that we would faithfully resolve to follow God in the midst of it and that we would trust that God reigns and rules over our lives today too. So Daniel chapter one, beginning in verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. That's just another name for Babylon to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. This book was written by Daniel about 530 years before Jesus was born. So to get oriented about some of the cultural and biblical context around this, we have a chart for you. Can everybody read this? This is very helpful, right? <laughs> All everything you need to know. Remember last week how Tom talked about uh, Jesus gave a little Old Testament survey class on the road to Emmaus? Here you go, captured in a slide. Just take a picture of that. You'll know everything you need to know about the Old Testament. I'm kidding. So this just shows some of the periods of history and different books that were written during the Old Testament history. We are going to zoom in on sort of this section right here, okay? And this shows us this period of time when the book of Daniel is written over, there it is, over 70 years, okay? From 586 to 516 BC. This is what Daniel is writing about. 
prior to that, the kingdom was divided. We'll talk about that in a moment. And prior to that, there was a united kingdom of Israel. There are reasons why the kingdom was divided, why the people have gone into uh, exile in Babylon. We'll talk about that. The captivity uh, ends in 516. The people return to the land. This is when the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, etc., is written. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then Jesus is born. Okay, everything you need to know about the Old Testament right there. I'm sure you all understand that. So this is the context. About 530 years before Jesus is born. So what led to this forcible removal of Daniel, his friends, and many others by this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar? The Babylonians had been a world empire about a thousand years before this. And they once again, in Daniel's day, rose up against the prominent world empire of the time, the Assyrians, and conquered them. So Daniel gives us uh, some dates within his book. It begins by saying the first uh, year of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's when Nebuchadnezzar came to town in 605 and conquered Jerusalem. And then the third year of Jehoiakim, this is all about 600 years before Jesus was born. So this is a series of conquerings that Nebuchadnezzar does to consolidate his power as the emperor of Babylon. And the Babylonians rise up once again to be the prominent power in the ancient Near East. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes the most famous king in the history of the Babylonian Empire. The capital city of Babylon is located in modern-day Iraq, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. Babylon, as it conquered uh, the different regions around them, was a brutal kind of of conqueror. We read some of the detail of what they did to the people of God. They kidnapped Daniel and his friends. They took the best of the best. Verse 3 says, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, and it goes on to describe them as youthful and strong and wise and educated. They not only kidnapped Daniel and his other friends, but they kidnapped thousands of people from Jerusalem and took them into captivity, removing them from their homeland. And then, as far as it relates to Daniel and who we'll know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they castrated them. They became eunuchs in the service of the king, working for the chief eunuch. There's no indication in, in Daniel's detailed history that he had any family. He was mutilated at the hands of the Babylonian Empire. And then they seek to culturally indoctrinate these young people. Verse 4 describes them of youths without blemish and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom. And at the end it says, they sought to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. This was like cultural indoctrination school that they sent them to for three years, where they would learn all about the Chaldeans. Now this wasn't like, okay, we're going to send you to college, you're going to read some novels and some light poetry. The literature of the Babylonians was evil and wicked and dark, demonic. Much of it was centered around witchcraft and the occult. This was not just some light reading that they engaged in. This was demonic stuff that they were forced to read. And as part of their cultural indoctrination, they even changed their names. Now, what's significant about that is each of the names of these four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
were named um, based on God, Yahweh, Jehovah. Daniel's name meant God is judge. Yahweh is judge. And they changed Daniel's name to be Belteshazzar. Bel was the Babylonian god. It meant like Bel's prince. Larry Osborne, who's a pastor in Southern California and has written a book about the book of Daniel called Thriving in Babylon, says it would be like if someone took you captive and changed your name from Christian to Satan's prince. This was a very significant form of cultural indoctrination. And each of the other names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though we, if we grew up in church, know those names from Sunday school, each of those similarly is based on the evil gods of Babylon. So they are trying to erase their faith, trying to indoctrinate them to the culture of the Babylonians. Daniel was kidnapped, castrated, culturally indoctrinated. Do you think his world was out of control? A little bit, right? What's amazing, though, is what Daniel thought about all of this. Look closely at verse 2 with me. After he describes the historical events that occurred, in verse 1, Daniel says this, and if you're free to underline, highlight in your Bible, this is, this is what I would underline. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave the people of God into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So when Daniel looks at this out-of-control situation that's happening in his world, what's his assessment? Does he look at this capture and conquest of the city of Jerusalem and think, boy, Nebuchadnezzar just was a cunning leader. The military might of the Babylonians was just too powerful for the small and insignificant kingdom of Judah. Is that how he assesses the situation? No, Daniel takes a bigger perspective and says, the Lord gave the people of God into the hands of the Babylonians. Now, Daniel wrote this book at the end of his life. So he is afforded the perspective of, you know, wisdom that comes with old age. But that wisdom allowed Daniel to understand this, that God is in control of our out-of-control world. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what befalls us, God is in control. So Daniel believed, as he assessed the situation, that there was something bigger going on than just the new rise of the next global power. Daniel believed God was in control, ultimately, of everything that was happening in the world. Daniel knew that nothing happens in our world, and God sits back and says, Oh, I didn't see that coming. God is in control. Now, what exactly would lead Daniel to have that perspective? What would cause him to assess the situation and believe that God had actually given his people over to an evil empire? How could he interpret those events in this way? I mean, when we attribute events to the hand of God, they're typically positive things that happen, right? Good things happen, and we say, oh man, God did that. It's a little less rare that we attribute catastrophe to God's hand. 
Let's go back to that chart we looked at. Okay, the story of the people of God is that God gave them a land. And he said, you'll dwell here, and I will be faithful to you, and I call you to be faithful to me. And there's sort of a series of up and downs in the history of God's people, right? Where they are faithful, where they're less faithful, where they are faithful, where they're less faithful. And one way to just illustrate that is in the period of the United Kingdom and then what happens and befalls the people that leads to a divided kingdom. So people of God look at other kingdoms of the world and say, you know what separates us from everybody else is that we don't really have a king. And God says, you don't need a king, I'm your king. And they say to God, you know, we, we really need a king because we want to be like the other nations of the world. And God relents and says, okay, you can have a king. And there's a few kings, Saul first, then David, then Solomon, just a few. And the people don't remain faithful to God, and Solomon sins. And as a punishment, because God's priority for his people is that they would stay faithful to him. And God warns them, if if you're not faithful, there will be judgment that will come upon you for your lack of faithfulness. And they don't follow God. And so the kingdom is divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The kingdom of Judah that we heard about is the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is evil. All of the kings that lead it don't follow God. And the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, has about 20 kings, and it sort of goes back and forth between evil kings and faithful kings. About six of the kings of the kingdom of Judah, of the southern kingdom, end up being faithful out of 20. So the majority of them are not faithful to God and don't lead the people in the way that God calls them to. And for hundreds of years, God pleads with the people, return to me, be faithful, follow me. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. And God warns them, if you are not faithful, I will punish you so that you will remain faithful to me. And for hundreds of years, God pleads with the people of God and promises them, If you don't return to me, I'm going to bring a nation who is going to come and conquer you and take you into exile so that you will be reminded who your God is. And so Daniel is familiar with this history of God's people. He knows what God has called his covenant people to, how they're called to be faithful, and how they have had years, decades, hundreds of years of not following the Lord as he calls them to. Here's what the prophet Isaiah which, by the way, go, go back to that slide, Roy, sorry. Isaiah wrote these words about 150 to 200 years before this exile happens. But here's what the prophet Isaiah said to the people of God about how important it was for them to be faithful. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, who was one of the kings of the kingdom of Judah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house And that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Is that not a stunning prediction? 150 years before this all happens. Isaiah said, behold, the days are coming when this will befall you because of your faithlessness. It's such a good reminder for us of how important it is to be able to interpret the events of our day 
through the lens of the scripture. I'll just say, I think far too many of us interpret the events of the day primarily through cable news outlets, through Twitter, through the opinions of random people on Facebook. Now, I'm not saying those might not be helpful sources, but are they the most important source for us who desire to remain faithful in a godless culture? Maybe not. I think what we see in Daniel is is how God-centered his life is and how that influences the way he thinks about the world. We're going to see Daniel remain faithful throughout this book. Faithful in spite of all of those terrible atrocities that we described. Faithful in light of the godless Babylonian culture. And how does he remain so God-centered? That's a challenge for us today too that we would remain Christ-centered when the pressures of the world desire to push us away from him. So it's just a good reminder for all of us that a Christ-centered life requires a Bible-saturated mind. One of the best and most important ways for us to stay faithful in our day is to be saturated with the Word of God. Daniel didn't have the benefit of having the entirety of the Bible with him at all times. We have the benefit of being able to pull up the scriptures at any time, to study it, to learn from it, to look at this historical book, to look at other historical books, to see the faithfulness of God to a people over thousands of years. And we just desire to have a similar perspective as Daniel does. We want to be the kind of people who see God's work all around us and how privileged we are to have everything that we need for life and salvation found in the words of this book. Daniel had wisdom and understanding because he knew the scripture. So when Nebuchadnezzar came to town, Daniel could understand and interpret that this was ultimately the work of God. My friends, I want you to have confidence that God is in control of our world, in control of the circumstances of your life. Whatever befalls you, God has it. And I hope you'll stick around for this series. And I think if you do, your confidence in God will grow. Okay, let's look at Daniel's faithful resolution, beginning in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant. For ten days, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food 
and the wine they were to drink, to drink, and gave them vegetables. What kind of vegetables did they eat that caused them to be fat? That's very curious. I wonder if they were deep fried. Like, I'm just not sure how that happens. You know this isn't a directive to eat vegetables only, right? God bless you if you're a vegetarian. That's great. That's not what this text is about. And we're going to be careful to not try to press in every single detail and decision that Daniel makes as like prescriptive for our own lives. But Daniel makes a decision here. He draws a line. And it's kind of remarkable that the line is drawn about food and not all of those other things that we talked about previously. We don't exactly know why he made this decision. It could have been that the food that he was going to be served violated uh, the dietary laws that were prescribed by God in the Torah. It's possible. It's also possible that the food that was served at the table of the king had been used in pagan sacrifices. And so Daniel felt that he couldn't, in good conscience, eat that food. Either way, I think what it comes down to for Daniel is this, that in this pagan culture of Babylon that he is surrounded by and immersed in, he makes a personal decision to give his allegiance first and foremost to God. He's not going to eat from the king's table. Even though the king is the most powerful man in the world at this time, Daniel takes a stand and says, my ultimate allegiance is to the Lord first. And so I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to draw a line. It's notable that his decision is personal. It's private. Daniel doesn't pick it. He doesn't post on Twitter. He asks permission to be able to do this. And he does so quietly. And I think winsomely when he asks and quietly says to himself, I'm not going to eat food from the king's table because I'm going to trust God in the middle of the turmoil of my life. And I'm not going to put my ultimate trust and allegiance towards the king of Babylon. Daniel's a wonderful example for us because Daniel absolutely lived in the world. Daniel rises to be one of the most powerful men on the planet. He has deep influence in the government of Babylon. He serves the king faithfully. But Daniel lives in the world, but he does not live for the world. Daniel never wavers in his life from living for God. Did you see what happened in verse 9? This is what it says. You might underline this too. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Here's what I love about this. God gives us what we need to be faithful. God always gives us what we need to be faithful. Daniel made a decision here about what he would and would not eat so that he might remain faithful to God. And God gave him exactly what he needed in his moment of need. God promises that he will, that he will give us what we need. Now, as we study the life of Daniel, there's going to be lots of victorious moments. But we should remember, Daniel suffered deeply. He sacrificed a lot. He was forcibly removed from his family, from his country, from his people for a lifetime. 
And sacrifice and suffering is normative in the life of the Christian. And let's not get caught up in some of these amazingly victorious stories in the life of Daniel and think that that's what should happen to us. And if it doesn't, then God is not faithful. No, God is faithful even when we suffer. God is faithful when we sacrifice. God is faithful even to people, beautiful people who have lost their lives for the sake of Jesus. God is faithful. Here's another example of a person who suffered and had a wonderful perspective on it. From 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Peter says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think that's what we see in Daniel. Daniel stayed faithful. He did so with gentleness and respect. God gives us what we need to be faithful. John Lennox was a professor of math at Oxford and also an amazing Christian apologist. He's written a number of books and he's debated some of the leading Christian atheists on our day, in our day, about how to remain faithful in our cultural context. And he's written a, written a wonderful book about the book of Daniel. And in it, he shares a story of his travels to Russia and particularly the number of times that he has met former prisoners of the Soviet gulag the prison camps that existed primarily during Stalin's reign. He met one man who had been imprisoned in Siberia because he had taught the Bible to children. And when he met this man, the man described to Professor Lennox the atrocities that he witnessed, all of the horrible things he had seen when he was imprisoned. And he said to Professor Lennox, you couldn't cope with that, could you? And Lennox replied, sort of embarrassed, no, I, I don't think I could have. And the man said to him, you know what, neither could I. I was the kind of man who fainted at the sight of my own blood. But what I discovered in the camp was this. God does not help us to face theoretical situations, but real ones. Like you, I couldn't imagine that I could cope in the gulag. But once there, I found that God met me, just as Jesus had promised his disciples. My friends, God will give you what you need to be faithful in your moment of need, which is different than Daniel's, different than mine, unique to you, but God promises that he will be faithful to you. And maybe right at the time when you need it and couldn't possibly imagine that you would be able to withstand what you're going through. I bet some of you can think of ways today that you might need God's help to remain faithful. You can ask him for it. God loves to answer those kinds of prayers from his people. God, I need help this time tomorrow to be faithful at work. I have a big meeting. There's a lot of pressure. 
and I know I need to remain faithful about my decision. God, help me. God, I, I need your help to end this relationship that I'm in. God, help me to be faithful to learn more about you. God, help me to be faithful to stay in your word. God, help me to be faithful to serve the needs of others. Whatever it is, you can ask God. And he delights to answer those prayers. Okay, let's look at verse 17 now, to the end. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So here we have these four guys taken captive, indoctrinated into a godless culture, and yet they remained faithful. How is it possible? Of course, because God was with them. Here's the third time in the chapter that Daniel notes God's presence with them. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. God was with them. He continually gave them what they needed. And I think it was because, because God was their king in spite of and in the midst of a godless culture. God was their king. That's one of the important themes of the book of Daniel, that God wants to rule in the hearts of people, even in places where God is not recognized, like Babylon, like Boulder. It has always been a challenge, and it will continue to be a challenge, to live in a world that does not recognize the rule of God. But God calls every person everywhere to submit themselves to the kind and gracious and good authority of God. There are a number of different kingdoms in the book of Daniel. The kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Judah. We'll see that the kingdom of Persia will come. But don't lose sight in, through, through all of those kingdoms of the most important kingdom in the book of Daniel. And that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Babylon is all about assimilation to their culture and values. The kingdom of Judah disobeyed and was taken to the godless kingdom of Babylon. But the kingdom of God can rule and reign in the hearts of people regardless of what earthly kingdom they are a part of. My friends, kingdoms of the world rise and fall. They come and they go. But God's kingdom endures. Daniel ended up outliving the brutal dictator Nebuchadnezzar. Outlasted the power of even the great Babylonian empire. Our chapter opened in verse 1 with the third year of King Jehoiakim, which was 605 BC. And it closes like this. 
in verse 21. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the king of Persia, who came about 70 years later and overthrew the Babylonian Empire, never to be heard from again. Almost 70 years, Daniel outlived it, and the kingdom of God endured through all of it. There are many kingdoms of this world that call to us, long to indoctrinate us, long to make us conform to the ways of the world. But as the people of God, we are called to have allegiance to God's kingdom first. God's in control of our out-of-control world. God gives us everything we need to be faithful. And God wants to rule in the hearts of people, even in places where he is not recognized. So my question for you is, does God rule in your heart today? Is he your first love? Is he the one you look to for guidance and direction? Is he the one that you've submitted your life to? The kingdom of God invites you to join it. And the way that that's accomplished is by what we celebrated last weekend. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the victory of his resurrection allows us to join the kingdom of God eternally and to stand before God confidently because Jesus has cleansed us of our sins because of his work on the cross. And my friends, if you have never surrendered to Jesus Christ, I would call you to do that right now and call on the name of the Lord for salvation and you will be a part of this great eternal kingdom. It's helpful for us to be reminded about how all of this ends in the world. So you might turn with me to the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 11 and verse 15, which says this. This is what happens at the end of time. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. All glory to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help to remain faithful. We're thankful that you have sent your Holy Spirit to us to live within us and give us the help that we need. So I pray for us today that you'd send us a greater measure of your Holy Spirit so that we might be faithful. You might remind us of your call to us. Remind us most of all of your faithfulness to us. And help us to live in this world for you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.